0: Welcome to Artelligence, the podcast of Art News, Art in America, and Art Market Monitor. I'm Marion Mannaker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art world. In this episode, we're speaking with Koji Inoue, a senior international specialist in contemporary art at Hauser & Wirth, and art advisor Kim Hairston, about the fall 2020 auctions in New York and Hong Kong. During the sales we're discussing here, billion in art was sold. 59% of that value was in New York and 41% in Hong Kong. Overall, the bidding was more aggressive and plentiful from Asian buyers in these sales. Although the totals were higher in New York in both absolute terms and average lot values, the sell-through rates were better in Hong Kong, and the average price values are approaching those seen in New York. With that in mind, let's speak to Kim and Koji about the highlights of these sales. So the top lot of the season was David Hockney's uh, Nichols Canyon Road that sold at Phillips uh, for forty-one million dollars. Uh, the bidding was you know fairly orderly, and it ended up pretty much where they were estimating. And and I know estimates are are sort of more advertising than uh, anything else. It's it, it's just interesting to see. Um, the biggest lot of the season sort of sell in such an orderly way and for it to be a Hockney of that sort of era. There was one that sold about two years ago, I think, uh, a landscape from the 80s, 90s that sold for about $28 million. So this is a pretty big jump up uh, in in price. Is there any sense from, you know, the market of uh, what was going on there?
1: I actually think it's just a matter of sheer exuberance to have such a happy picture. Uh, of L.A. We all know of times when we're cruising, cruising down the Sunset Boulevard. Um, it's an L.A. Uh, that's vital and alive and smog-free and without fires. So
0: <laughs> Very idealized uh, very. Uh, Los Angeles.
2: I imagine it was but, also a very challenging environment to source a picture of such quality. Uh, and to have it, one had to be pretty aggressive on the estimate or the potential guarantee that would secure the work. Um, but, at the end of the day, you know, the artist really drives the market, and if you think about David Hockney and how established he now is, especially over the past couple of years, long uh, overlooked uh, and especially you saw the preponderance of bidding from the European team there, and one wonders you know after such you know, great masters like Bacon or Freud, who are the great English uh, artists uh, to wave that flag of Patrimony if you will uh, that will continue that legacy and here you have an artist who not only is English, but is also Californian uh, And has also had a long history of uh, Bidding from Asia as well. So it's kind of the perfect artist for auction uh, right now and uh, But even more than that, it's he's just a long uh, overdue uh, Master
0: well he did uh, the the consigner did benefit from there being very few other works to sort of compete in that realm. And, you know, as they uh, said in the Announcement before the uh, sale, it's been uh, was purchased in 1982. So, I mean, 38 years is a long time uh, to own, especially a Hockney, uh, and to see something. I guess it's just this constant resetting of prices with Hockney that we've seen over the last uh, a few years. And
1: aside from him being overlooked for so long, you know, it's figuration and it's landscape, and we're seeing an increased appetite for those two Absolutely. things. So, it's really
0: the big size sometimes that's a huge advantage. Sometimes that's a hindrance. Does that uh, play a factor here?
1: I think it just amplifies the joy. Actually, in this case, it makes it and a it, more exciting. Yeah, and there painting. are bigger pictures, right?
0: <laughs> well, that's uh, true. The the, um, the Santa Monica uh, uh, painting right. I think is probably highway. bigger, wider painting in, in many ways, or sort of more square footage
3: of, of paint. The Rare is Still from 1964. PH 107 coming from the Artist Maryland Painting Series here. And we can open this up at $12 million. Starts it at 12 million, 13 million. At 13 million, 14 million here. Ahead of the phones currently at 14 million. Not yours in New York, 15 million. At 15 million, 16 million here. At 16 million. Ahead of all the phones currently at 16. Looking for 17 is next. At 16 million. 17 million is bids with Meaty Hayden. All yours, Meaty, at 17 million. The bids with Meaty Hayden in New York at 17 million. Currently, all yours, Meaty, at 17 million. Ahead of you, JP, not yours, Robert, at 17 million. Cheyenne, are we on this one? At 17 million. All yours, Meaty, at 17 million. Selling then to the phones in New York. 17 million here. Sold! All yours, meaty! Congratulations. It's 17 million.
0: So, besides being a preeminent example of chandelier bidding, uh, that lot was interesting just because. You know, it's a big monumental uh, work. There's never been that much Clifford Still available. Only a tiny percentage of his work ever left his studio. Uh, And here, I think people thought uh, there was gonna be a lot more interest uh, uh, for it and it ended up selling on one bid, essentially. Um, uh, I can't remember whether it was a guarantee or or, or not, but effectively, you know, where uh, uh, the, the only bid they could get uh, for it.
1: I think what's really interesting is how he continually signals that it's only one bid, because he tells Miti, I think four times, it's yours, meati It's yours, Meety. Uh, it's yours, and very, very interesting because he doesn't even—he doesn't really hide it uh, in the way that uh, auctioneers usually do. It's pretty fait complete that meaty has got it at seventeen. But um,
0: and meaty's juggling two phones at the right? same time, so <laughs> I, I, it, it's the sort of the mystery: is there a second bidder? <laughs> is there something else going on there?
1: Exactly. But uh, as you know, Marion, this is—it's the one that got away. You know, every once in a while, there's a picture that is so perfect for your clients but except for four inches too tall so but I had studied this work a lot and I like the Maryland pictures a lot different people feel uh, have different takes I mean if certainly they don't show the pyrotechnics of the early works and of course that Anderson picture I remember them back from my Miller days hunk and moo that was an extraordinary work it was 1947 um, a whole different uh, uh, a can of worms, if you will, but I do like these late pictures, they're minimal, and I also like knowing that, that the artist was um, happy and joyous when he created them. Uh, he moved out to Maryland, was away from uh, the scene, and um, I, I, I'm a light, late picture girl. I like a uh, 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 number of artists whose late periods are maybe a little bit different, but it shows the, the force that he continues, and I think there are some really good pictures. I thought this was gonna go a lot higher. Than it actually did. So when it went for 17, I'm like, no. (laughs) That coupled with the four four inches. inches Yeah. Let me get, let me get the the exactor knife. Um, But uh, uh, yeah, that was um, one I would have liked.
0: So so we saw um, the Baltimore Museum tragedy accession a still uh, a few months ago. Uh, That that didn't happen for uh, other reasons. Are, Are are you saying the, the um, Clifford Still painting sold by Putter Anderson, the heir of Hunk and Moo Anderson, right. some of the preeminent collectors of American art, right. art who have a museum of a lot of their work at uh, Stanford University, was that price bringing these other works onto the market or are these sort of unrelated It's uh, That's a really events? good
1: question. I, I, I don't know, but I would assume that is part of the story. Um, yeah, I would think so.
0: Because that was a fairly exceptional work, the the Andersons one
2: extraordinary, Incredible. Yes, I mean it was at the top of the staircase when you went up into the institution, and it was just a glorious, glorious painting. Uh, not to say that this painting wasn't either. You know, it is a beautiful picture, has exceptional provenance, was in the Berta collection. Um, you know, bright red colors, uh, very commercial. Uh, certainly, we all would have expected it to have made more, but. You know timing is everything and as you say you know and scale and scale perhaps <laughs> yes uh square footage <laughs> the picture was also available to the market previously uh and so um you know i'm sure that had a bit of an effect uh in terms of uh the interest uh given what may or may not be a guarantee uh,
4: 118 million then with Eric at 118. Vicky, would you like 120? At 118 million, Eric's telephone at 118. At 118. Vicky, you still in here? At 118 million then, Eric has it. I'm selling to Eric. Ada, Vicky, you still here? Vicky, San, you still in? At 118 million. All done. Selling, Vicky, not yours, at 118 million. Quite sure. Hammer's coming down. Vicky, look at me. All done. Thank you very much. At 118 million, then, for the Sanyu. Selling to you, Eric. Ada. At 118 million, that it is. Here it is. Selling, this time, to you, Eric. All done. At 118 million. Sold at 118
0: million. Congratulations, Eric, and thank you all for your bids. The chrysanthemum, uh, they certainly took their time b- bidding, mm-hmm. but gets uh, pushed up to uh, 138 million uh, Hong Kong dollars. And the goldfish, which took even longer to b- bid on, was sold for 170 million Hong Kong do- dollars. Uh, that's about 22 million uh, U.S. dollars, so a, a serious amount of money. and. And we're used to the Hong Kong sales being driven by these uh, Franco-Chinese painters, Zhao Ki probably being the most prominent and the one who's driven a lot of the market the last uh, uh, few years. uh, uh, Chun te Chu, I think, is, mm-hmm. think thank you uh, uh, is is the other similar pa- painter, and then you know the third uh, painter who 's often called the um, Chinese Matisse, uh, I guess because of his, his line, um, uh, who is the uh, painter of the, these two two works is suddenly been having a sort of rush of taking this sort of preeminent uh, spot. There've been several of his nudes sold for uh, record prices and then in this sort of go-round we had this strong uh, uh, selling uh, uh, for these two works. Uh, Is this just market rotation uh, in in Asia? Is there another reason all of a sudden sort of he's taking on
2: a a new role? I would say that you know San Yu in his own right, has a long history of these symbols, if you will, the chrysanthemum or the goldfish, having a long history of meaning uh, in their iconography in Chinese culture, too. But there is no doubt that there is definitely an allusion to Matisse and uh, what he did with goldfish and with uh, still lifes. Uh, that said, it, it kind of also points to this, um, the affinity of the Chinese buying public and their familiarity more with European painting vis-a-vis American painting. And what I think was most interesting about this you know, 20 million plus lot is when does San Yu break out of purely Asia bidding there? Uh, when does it actually go into European collections, much less American collections, where say with the Hockney or with other artists, we've seen much more global participation, but there is definitely some sort of patrimony to San Yu as a Chinese painter, uh, you know, schooled in uh, what happened in the period before, and building on the shoulder of those giants, and being one of uh, our own, if you will. And so, um, I think what's most interesting is what happens next here, as as even geopolitically, uh, you know, the the. The shift of of, uh, of powers changing between uh, you know a pan Asian a, uh, a Euro nation a European Union if you will and uh, the United States populist stances. So so when does the Franco side
0: become <laughs> <Kicking>. reemphasized? <laughs> Perhaps
2: yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, it's interesting because uh, um, in in all three of those uh, artist cases, it's taken twenty years to move most of the art from Europe, where it was held not in, in particularly, you know, prominent collections, to Asia. Uh, and now what you're suggesting is, given the, the prices and the prominence and this kind of syncretic uh, world culture we're, we're building, that there's just as much chance of someone in Europe or the U.S. you know wanting to acquire these uh, in the same way.
1: But then at these prices, is that possible? So, that's another interesting question, because uh, I know Europe has been kind of a little bit slow in this last round. So are they going to be able to step up to those levels um, that they've been that have been achieved? And I, I just wanted to say one other thing. Uh, I didn't realize that actually the Chinese government encouraged uh, their painters and artists to actually study and work in France. So there was actually a program, I don't know what you compare it to, not the WPA, but something along those lines where they were actually um, went to France and and, uh, and they, there was a realization that Chinese artists needed that European flavor or flair. And so I just think that's an interesting part
0: of the story. Well, and Sen Yu is probably the most European of those three are, are yeah. artists in that it's recognizable, the style, as you were just mentioning. Initially,
1: I sort of, I didn't like the goldfish because I thought they were too Mm. Matissean. But in another twist, I learned that um, goldfish originated in China so now who's the appropriator <laughs> in a way um, because uh, goldfish are, are definitely uh, of Chinese origin well so. there
0: was there was a, a calder a few years ago that was a sort of big fish, fish. that made a right. big oh, price to an Asian right. uh, a right. buyer yeah. sort
2: of that that was from the Bergman collection right. yes.
1: exactly you know, and then I
0: was thinking
2: about 32 million, I think it was that was impressive still a world record I believe yeah,
0: and not gold, but still a lot yeah, of gold in yeah. Japan. Yeah. <laughs> really well,
2: in Japan, chrysanthemum is a symbol of death; it's the flower of death, and also the imperial flower of the emperor. Um, I'm not sure how that translates into China as well, but these icons have so many different meanings, and that, you know, miscegenation, if you will, between what it meant in a European context as opposed to an Asian context. I think that's where the the richness really lies. And, you know, as you say, like with Nihonga and Japanese May, you know, that kind of cross-influence of where you see Hokusai, his influence on uh, Van Gogh, for that matter, you know. There's there's so many, um, I think this pandemic in particular has accelerated a lot of that sort of cross-pollination, which I think, you know, as we are able to see these online, more than being someone who's already kind of, I don't know what the phrase is, but uh, already a believer, if you will, like already participating in the Hong Kong cycle and this new format gives more opportunity for learning and I think it accelerates that potential for breakthrough as opposed to what we saw like in 2008 where you saw like the Zhang Fan Jours and you know Chinese artists kind of relegated to the back of the sale for a few more things to introduce into the American or European art collecting market. I think uh, this is mm-hmm. much more. I was just going to say,
1: yeah, we, we, we had we used to have silos, you know, and now um, you're you're feeling this, in mm-hmm. kind of a lot of kumbaya, and or it's, equal it's voices, nice at least, yeah, equal, yeah,
2: they exactly. they have their own voice. They're, you know, competing against their own, um, you know, country men and women, uh, but other people are watching, I say, hey, what am I missing about you know this Chinese artist that uh, I need to learn more about. Well, that is where I think the price actually becomes an advantage. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, it's one of the ways that people are attracted is to see what works, make bigger prices, and gives them confidence, and makes them wonder what they're missing out on. And and if the. People in Europe or uh, uh, the North America are going to start competing with. Uh, actually, the Taiwanese were the real sort of drivers of the San Yu market, right. and I believe the goldfish was owned by Pierre Chen uh, some years ago, which, which also has gives
1: softened it, I've,
0: I've quite considerably. But yes, right, but but historically, they, they are the ones who pushed uh, this along. But at these kinds of prices, it 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 seems like it would pique more people's interest to uh, you know take a look. Do the same thing that a lot of the Asian clients are doing with European artists that, you know, uh, European and North Americans might do with uh, some of these prominent Asian artists. Which leads <laughs> us, ladies and
5: gentlemen, to the wonderful, the iconic monumental Alexander Col Mariposa. The butterfly is a standout example of the artist's iconic hanging mobiles, which is being sold from the famed Neiman Marcus collection, Acquired in 1951 by Stanley Marcus, the founder of Neiman Marcus in Dallas, this wonderful work is hung in a variety of different Neiman Marcus stores across America, including Beverly Hills, Chicago, Dallas, and most recently in New York. And we're honored to be handling this wonderful, wonderful object. Those who've seen it in our galleries have been absolutely bowled over by its wonderful lyricism and poetic character. So here we are, this wonderful work from 1951 and recorded of course in the archives of the Calder Foundation in New York. And I start with some interest here at five million dollars, at five million, five million two hundred thousand, five million four hundred thousand, at five million four, five million six hundred thousand, at five million six, five 000, 4 million eight hundred thousand million dollars, and still with Simon's Stock here. Here's the work it's showing for you in on twelve million one hundred thousand. We've come this far at twelve million one hundred thousand. Simon, will you say two, please? Twelve. Fair warning now, and selling to you, Simon. Last chance for fifteen million six hundred thousand dollars. It's yours, thank you very much indeed, congratulations. Battle number 10, thank you very much indeed.
0: That's about $4 million in $100,000 increments. With, yeah, so it's three uh, 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 bidders sort of towards the end but it looked like, you know, there were probably five or six uh, uh, at least. Is that just because, I mean, well, one, this trend of putting art in fashion boutiques is clearly not new uh, when uh, Stanley Marcus put it in the stores, in multiple stores, and moved it uh, uh, around. Um, But more importantly, I guess, the work was owned only by one owner, and really since the the early 60s, which makes it one of those rare uh, fresh-to-market works, and one presumes, I mean, that estimate was intentionally put way below what the expectations were. It's
1: a great, amazing work, Provenance, the length of their holding on to the
0: work, but also
1: the Neiman Marcus stamp. But so. but if you and know beautiful. they
0: they spend a lot of time making it clear to us that the winning bidder was representing the Asia, Asia desk. desk, so we're we're led to believe that it's an Asian buyer. And I, I suppose you know Neiman Marcus has some um, cachet uh, uh, there, but I would think less. There are many other big um, department and famous luxury department stores all across a- Asia. So it, it's just interesting to see this sort of combination of all. All these things again.
2: Yes. They're just it's an interesting point you bring up because in in Japan certainly there is a department store uh, like Takashimaya or you know there's certain brands where one actually bought art through most right. of the 80s and 90s. Seibu. Seibu, exactly. So uh, it, it and it wasn't. I and mean, Barnes. even in New York, like exactly in the 60s and the 50s, that was definitely not something new. Where a lot of retail. Uh, uh, I don't know, millionaires or billionaires yeah, back then. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're certainly active collectors to so the to the retail chain. I know there has been a lot of demand for Calder in this multicolor, uh, especially in the vertical format. Uh, there are some that are quite large and horizontal, and there are deep collectors of Calder who have multiple uh, sculptures, and it is quite rare to come across one that has such grace in its in its. How tall it could be in a like a, a, whether it be a spiraling staircase or if it's if it's in it's in some uh, domestic uh, foyer, uh, you know. There's definitely it's
1: easier to appreciate that format.
2: It really has its own it has its personality. You know, just because it's bigger doesn't necessarily mean it's more. With Calder, and just because it's a little itty bitty tiny guy, you know, sometimes those guys sell for millions as well. And no, so, no. In fact, the, that the Calder market has been going down towards the tabletops. In part,
0: one presumes because things have gotten so expensive in the larger formats and then you would see these, you know, medium-sized or tabletop works be two, three million dollars. right. And that's right. a significant amount of money
2: for uh, a small sculptor. Yes, but I, I think with Calder it's always about personality. There's such joy in the way he made his works and I think that really speaks to collectors as a human thing uh, across all cultures.
1: I think we're just going back to our time in the crib when you had your (laughs) (laughs) little mobile in front of you. When life was simple, (laughs) feed me. (laughs) Especially in yellow.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Phillips New York sale had two Joe Mitchells, uh, one that sold quite well it was among I think her top 10 prices but didn't feel like a spectacular sale I think there were just two or three bids and there was a sense from the auctioneer that um, we were waiting for someone who, who, who never showed up uh, to, to the party and then the other later work uh, failed to sell uh, which is interesting because, you know, Joe Mitchell generally is uh, a well-sought-after and a exciting uh, artist, especially these days, as there's a lot of focus on women uh, extra- abstract expressionists. Is there a, a, you know, was it the quality well, of the works? Is it something else?
1: I found the, uh, the result quite curious, actually, because the, the picture that did well was the earlier picture, but it was in my uh, understanding of Joan, who I actually, I actually knew her because when I worked at Robert Miller and I s- actually also spent time with her in Vitoy, uh, France, so um, got to know her. She was a bit of a mentor. But uh, that picture was kind of early, the 1953 uh, picture. And uh, as far as early pictures go, for me, it was a little cloudy. It was a cloudy day <laughs> in Vitoy. And so I thought that their estimate was really bullish. Um, turns out, it was interesting that you said that, because it turns out that there, there was a surprise bitter in the mix in that one. Uh, so somebody did show up on that particular work. But um, with respect to the other painting, uh, you know, it's either 57 or 83, those are the, those are the money shot years, of the Grand Ballet or, or 1957. So I, I was, uh, while the later picture is a little early for late, uh, it was very beautiful and ravishing and the types of pictures that people um, go after, like Witness Blueberry. That was the fork in the road for Mitchell. Um, but, uh, so the exact opposite happened. Um, I did get the sense uh, that with the later picture there was a recalcitrant owner, you know, and had the owner maybe been a little bit more flexible, there might have been um, a better result, because apparently there were people on that picture, but
2: just at a lower level.
0: So a high reserve preventing Mm -hmm. it from from selling? Yeah, Mm
6: -hmm.
2: perhaps. My, My take was also that, you know, connoisseurship has continued to grow for Joan Mitchell. And just because it's from a period in the 80s, or if it has a 1957 date, or 1960s date for that matter, which is a transition period where she moves from New York to France, you know, some pictures are thicker and muddier than others. Others have a certain elegance and grace, and you know sunshine or internal light, if you will. And I think, you know, in the last 10 years, people would think just more broadly, as you're saying, Joan Mitchell, female abstract expressionist, and um, you know. I think connoisseurship has certainly grown over the years, and the and, and the fifties in particular are very hard to come by. There are only a handful that have been even available in the prim- in the secondary market. So, uh, you know, while it didn't has the sparks sort or of the competition in the, in the it's in the sense that you would see for like a broadly commercial, vibrant, beautiful painting, um, it is an important painting of good scale and uh, rarity.
6: Lot 37, ladies and gentlemen, the much-awaited Toulouse-Lautrec, and for this extraordinary picture formerly in the collection of Aristide Bruant and Sacha Guitry before entering the haute collection, we shall start here at $2 million, at $2 million, $2 million, $2 million oh, two, at $2 million, at $2 million, $200,000, 2000000 2000000 600000 with you, I see, at $2 million, 600000 with the first telephone here, at $2 million, $600,000. 6000000 dollars One last try, Connor, for La Pierreuse. Beautiful Toulouse Lautrec at 7,600,000. Last chance. You could still try one if you wish at 7,600,000. And selling against you otherwise to Maria's telephone for $7,600,000. At seven million six, you won't find another one, Connor. Fair warning then. And selling to Maria's telephone, the Toulouse Lautrec is sold. Congratulations, Maria. To paddle 1729 for seven million six hundred thousand. A beautiful oh, buy. Toulouse
0: Lautrec. You don't see uh, a painting by Toulouse Lautrec on the market very often, let alone the one that was owned by Henry Ford II for I don't even know how many years uh, uh, that was. Uh, And it comes with a pretty low estimate and a lot of bidding, a lot of bidding in $100,000 increments. Uh, Is that just, you know, sort of a, a... the novelty of something like this uh, coming up on the market?
2: I think it's a rarity of something like this coming to the market. I mean, first, bravo to Adrian, one of the most technical lots of the season, just very, very precise on uh, managing so many bidding. As you said, This picture could have sold for around $3 million. You could see people starting to inch for their for their paddles, and it could have closed. And yet, you know, he knew to keep the, you know, cool, open it up. New bidders were coming in, and this is an impressionist, you know, Masterpiece in the sense that you know you have very experienced collectors, um, you know, who have been bidding at auction for decades, and they knew to come in, you know, and not create more of a frenzy. And each one went through their cycles. There were almost like four or five stages that went into, you know, the final two between Connor and and Maria. And I mean, truly, this was a clash of the titans in terms of the most senior staff of. Christie's organization with each of their clients, all big heavy hitters um, and yes, as you say like there's there's, there's the four provenance to it um, there was a company that this picture kept uh, in its lifetime uh, and even though it's a name that doesn't come up that much and doesn't feel as fresh or contemporary I mean you look at it today and you, you squint your eyes in a certain way you see the reflections of the building behind I mean there are certain aspects to painting that have not. Carried over, and the people don't know how to paint like that anymore. <laughs> and the model
0: is associated with Very a previous model. record yeah. uh, painting, Very so it uh, uh, of the point. sort of pantheon of his works. Exactly. Yet
1: yes. at the same time, it doesn't really feel like your classic idea of what a Toulouse-Lautrec, Toulouse-Lautrec, Toulouse-Lautrec. looks like. It, it. I kept thinking it looks more like a Manet. Degas uh, mm-hmm. collaboration, so but interesting. But mm-hmm. this is again where sophistication comes into play. So, it's yeah. not your typical can-can cafe, uh, recognizable. But there are other. And I think that's what collectors elements. at that level
2: are yeah, looking exactly. for. You yeah. know, they've had spent their entire lifetime looking at. Oh, this is the icon of exactly. X, Y, and Z, and, and I ap- have them. But this is unique.
1: And it would appeal to someone whose tastes aren't. More towards the garish,
0: in a way. It's an it's an elegant, toulouse Yeah, that's that, that that's a great point. It is a a very sophisticated, elegant painting, and surprisingly, you don't see that many of those uh, uh, at auction.
1: Yeah, you, you do see a little bit of that neon green around her her lips, which is a very the track color. But yeah.
2: anyway. But a seven million dollar sale—a very <laughs> muted lot, in a sense. I mean, a lot of the silent operators of Christie's. Uh, obviously, they're very well known in the public sphere, but you know, they're very discreet with their top clients. And so, this was like a this was a, a major lot, in, in, on many levels, that you know, I think we get lose sight of in the flash of uh, you know right. the now.
1: And it's nice to see. Yes, it's nice to see that kind of sophisticated buying.
0: You know, that brings up an interesting point uh, that's worth discussing with some other lots, but it's been mentioned to me that several... Uh, People who have clients of that ilk, maybe not heavy hitters, but certainly buyers of either modern pictures or even impressionist works, that many of those collectors have become interested in the figurative painters that we see driving the market uh, now. And that, surprisingly, they're they're going after uh, Mm. Buafos and all, and that we're getting this sort of interesting sort of move. I don't know whether it's the figuration or the... um, novelty, but that the, the there's, there's something going on in the market that happens. There's
2: something about a language that's familiar to those collectors, whether it was like, you know, Sheila to Boafo, or there's some sort of link in be- somewhere in between. But definitely, I, I mean, you, you spoke to it earlier about figuration and, you know, These this would be the
1: Hockney. You know, could it be uh, COVID collecting uh, when we are all in isolation? Um, also something, I mean, this has been going on a while, So, <laughs> see, yes. but could we be seeing um, a desire to
0: connect, really, to other people? I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, you know? Connect because of the present-day subject matter, connect because Politically, there's a whole theme ar- around black figurative pa- painters that connects with the sort of social... Uh, uh, well, I
1: wasn't even, I, I'm talking about figurative in general. And I just mean, you know, the, the, hum- the human element, um, which we're kind of all deprived of right now. Mm-hmm. So I, we'll see if it continues and it lingers once, once this is in our rear view mirror. But um, maybe that's driving things, having pictures of people because you yeah. are craving contact. Well, I,
0: uh, the last <laughs> connection I was going to ask, whether it's just the desire to buy something, that there are a lot of collectors who the things that they traditionally collect aren't really on the market, you know, or are very expensive like the, this uh, toulouse track, but are looking for things to buy because they want to be engaged in the world. and
1: All of the above. I think that too, for sure. For sure. And they're staring at walls that are either empty or they are looking to uh, fill in holes and gaps in the
0: collections um, or upgrade. Speaking of connections, Mm -hmm. one of the more significant lots at Christie's Hong Kong sale was the Dana Schutz that sold for somewhere in the mid five uh, uh, million, maybe six million dollar uh, range. And uh, it, it, it's significant, one, because it's an enormous painting that was featured uh, at the Whitney, um, was that, six, seven years ago? 2017,
2: no, was it?
0: A little
1: earlier? Was it earlier? I think it was (laughs) 2014, but somewhere (laughs) in the last period.
0: And and they sold it to an Asian buyer, uh, and it's my understanding that that was a bit of a lark, you know, that the, the consigner was willing to go lo- along with it. And they figured, hey, if we bring it to Asia, maybe people will come. And sure enough, uh, uh, they did. There was, you know, bidding from uh, people in New York, The, the all the contemporary uh, mm-hmm. heavy hitters uh, were on the, uh, the picture uh, as well. But it ended up selling to Hong Kong.
1: And I remember feeling profoundly um, disappointed, like, no, <laughs> the painting can't leave America.
2: <laughs> well, it's not new it's that absurd. I think Schutz has been bought out of America, if you will, by Asian clients. I remember when we used to go to auctions in real life, I was sitting next to uh, a client from Taiwan who ended up winning uh, a Dana Schutz, uh in a New York sale. Um, so I think that there has been some interest there Kind of similar to Cecily Brown, mm-hmm. uh, but very different mm-hmm. <laughs> uh and, and yet, yeah, in this auction, there seemed like there was definitely both sides, yes, we saw some new york uh uh pushing uh definitely uh, it was a long lot, as I remember, yeah yeah, and again, you know, to the Toulouse or Trek or to many of these more experienced, but there's one habit that I think that the, uh, just speaking generally, the Asian collector has now, they wait, you know, until that hammer is about to drop, and I think it makes all auctioneers just terrified. (laughs) They have to reopen these lots, but they wait until the very, very last minute and try to get through those cycles and waves to not create more of a, uh, Frenzy. Yeah.
0: Well, and there, there seems to be a lot of um, Asian buyers who are happy to hold for a short period and resell. Uh, so, and they're very active in a, a lot of the same, the, the black figurative painters. Uh, the, they seem to own uh, and bid on a number of, of them. Uh, there's certainly a lot of abstract painters, The Eddie Martinez. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Kondo is a figurative and abstract painter, I suppose, but you know, Kondo, there, there are these artists who, I guess you can see a connection with them when you see them, but I don't think you could have predicted, oh, these are the artists that necessarily will develop a following in Asia.
2: Certainly not. No, I think that uh, even Nara, who now regularly sells for 10 million plus, I mean, less than a decade ago, couldn't break the million dollar mark and was very much relegated to the backs of sales. And... Uh, and now, yeah, that's, that's your cover. Well, that, I and mean. It the was the cover. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the, the, that's the,
1: what
0: did it, anyway, cover the, girl. The, the, well, it, because the other Nara's sold okay, right. but not with any of the And he kept mentioning the that. Yeah, in yes, the, ever, we in the, driving that yeah. along. No, no, the, the Nara is, uh, uh, in the contemporary side, it's you know the artist with very recognizable work, a lot of it of a size and scale to really drive the market uh, and and generate fairly big numbers and keep pulling buyers in for, for whatever reason. But there, there seems to be a big supply and, and a deep demand for them. Yes. We don't have time to, to watch this because it was probably one of the longer uh, bidding wars, but the um, Amy Sherald painting that opened Phillips uh, New York sale, I think the bidding went on for 15 minutes. and. Uh, Ended up in the $4 million range. Uh, She's a... Become very prominent. She was a, a painting of hers was on the cover of Vanity Fair. She did uh, Michelle Obama's p- portrait. She's very recognizable. Mm-hmm.
2: Your yeah. gallery represents her. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> disclosure. <laughs> <bit of> bias. <laughs> yes.
0: uh,
2: We're big fans of Amy.
0: <laughs> what uh, amazing show you had! I mean, and w- it was the first lot. I mean, th- those are the lots meant to do that kind of agenda-setting, exciting thing. But still, even so how do you come up with that number? What are the peers that the the bidders are, are are comparing her to? It's just, you know, that she's had so few works
2: come on the market that you couldn't achieve that price publicly you until know, now? I think Amy stands alone, and she does paint very, very slowly and meticulously. And there's just not a lot of supply out there. And when there is supply, uh, you know, I think the mantra of housing worth has been about, you know, placing the picture in an institution, ideally, and doing what's best for our artists. And uh, it hasn't been driven by price. And so, yes, you ha- did have a very, very low estimate, but regardless of what price could be achieved, you know, the primary price is pale in comparison to what has now been achieved in a, in, a, in an auction, in a secondary context. Um, uh, it is exceptional Painting in the sense of the full figure and uh, the title and the bathers and the provenance uh, coming from uh, the, royals. the royals, the royals, yeah, who made a major contribution, mm-hmm. um, you know, to these to, to African yes. American
1: and uh, artist of color, which is amazing. On it, on that note, I no, just. Uh, I've talked to a few people about them I didn't know them I'm sure you've gotten to know them but I've heard that they're just um, incredibly beautiful people or he was and um, I've heard nothing but amazing things about them as human beings which is which is really really nice and um, I have to say another thing when we last time we did the uh, uh, Lynette's Baker yeah. which was so profoundly different oh. from Amy's oh. and uh, whereas Lynette's I've thought a lot about art history, and Cezanne, and a little bit of Picasso, and in this one I thought about my own personal history, um, and the idea of the bather. Uh, In African-American culture, as a little girl I went to, um, uh, with my father's side of the family, there was a house in Oak Bluffs, and uh, I've always, I grew up on Long Island, and I spend time in the Hamptons, and there's a place called Azure Rest. And I've been doing a little deep dive over the summer into these enclaves uh, of uh, summer homes uh, by the beach um, for African-American communities. And uh, there was actually something in the New York Times this summer. But long story short, this is so loaded. I also just read Isabella Wickerson's cast. Mm. And there's almost a a full chapter devoted to how... um, Blacks were denied access to public beaches and pools. So, you know, terrible stories about glass and nails put on steps of pools so that people would be hurt. Another story about a young uh, 17-year-old who was killed because he actually went into the wrong side of the beach and people were so appalled. So these terrible, terrible stories. But I say this because uh, this particular image means so much uh, to see Black bathers um, and, and know the history mm-hmm. of uh, bathing as a person of color in this country. And it was one of denial, and in some cases violence to the body. So this it, it, painting just really resonates with me and, in and such the, a strong
0: way. And that, uh, but that painting uh, eschews any of that um, uh, background and seems more joyous and uh, um, it fully inhabiting it does,
1: and it's a, it's a, it's an incredible stance. But at the same time, her use of grisaille um, necessitates a, a kind of going back in time. So I can't divorce it from the stories I've heard or books I've read. And there is that sense as yes, there's there's joy, in ha- and and she says that she's actually talked about wanting to represent African Americans in this, at having fun. You know, in a way, sort of a counter to like an Alex Katz. Yep. However, you know, as as a person of color. I can't. That history seeps into that painting in a very strong way. So. Anyway, it's a it's a masterpiece. No, no it, you know, it, I love it.
0: it. Look, <laughs> the the royals are impressive. I mean, the, several of their works sell in that um, uh, auction. Uh, a bit later, they their Micheline Thomas sets a record for her yep. uh, as well. Curiously, there's also a portrait of Micheline Thomas by yes. Jimmy Wiley <laughs> yes. that sells quite well, well, <laughs> well too. To, uh, uh, so, I mean, the, the, their collecting is very uh, well represented in this moment and there's clearly a lot of demand for it, but it certainly wasn't the only um, driver of interest for their collection. It was just the, the quality of these works and of these artists.
1: And I keep wondering, is this you know a fad and is there gonna be like a massive letdown at some point and I do, and I worry, and I talk to artists and, and collectors about this. But you know, um, there's so much institutional interest in redressing uh, lapses and gaps in collections, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's part of the reason that's that you're seeing this because people are aware that institutions are making these corrections and now really focusing on women and artists of color. So I think that's something uh, to to factor in, which maybe makes this not. Um, and one-night wonder. Uh, But the other thing I think about a lot is uh, China in particular is going into Africa and in terms of infrastructure and industry. And I think, you know, uh, I remember the first time I went to China in the 90s, you know, I felt like an alien completely. You know, I don't think that they had seen any people of color. And so I, I think that that might be doing something as well because I've noticed some of these works are going to Asia. They're going to Hong Kong uh, at least. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking these, uh, these boundaries are starting to dissolve a little bit apropos our earlier conversation. And, um, you know, it, it seems as though black lives do matter. Or at least images of Black Lives Matter, and that's a start. So
0: I, I hope it continues. Uh, the, the, the the Chinese buying is significant yeah, and very interesting. Very shocking. Uh, um, in. Uh, Christie's Hong Kong sale. There's an Amoako Bofo painting that sets a record for him as well. I think around $980,000 uh, uh, with the premium uh, and all. And this comes after a fair bit of publicity about some of the background of his market that would you scary. would have thought uh, uh, would drive people away or make them feel like, okay, there's stuff going on that I can't you know, uh, really control, uh, and yet, there it is. The The bidding's real. It's not just for that work. There was another one uh, uh, as well. And a lot of it seems to be coming from the Barkley
1: Hendrix, that amazing, you know, old masterly Bar- Barclay Hendrix. I mean, there's, um, yeah, so many of the pictures you see that look like they could be stills from Shaft, almost colorized, <laughs> enhanced colors, stills from Shaft. But that work is just an astonishing, enigmatic.
0: Let, really well, amazing painting. Let's talk about that for a second. So, so um, Sotheby's opens their uh, evening sale with this dramatic on a dark background. Uh, I don't know if he's a baseball player; just has a, you know, a, a sort of baseball hat on, a, yeah. uh, and all. all um, and, and like so many of the and Hendrix, a vertical fro. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so many of the Hendricks that have sold it, it is these. These larger-than-life characters leaping out of these uh, fields, often of color, and in this case, the dark brown, black is a a striking color as much as some of the yellows and pinks and and all. And they, you know, Sotheby's has done quite well with. Barclay Hendricks market keeps pushing it uh, uh, forward, and this which you think
1: might be very narrow, but it's ever expanding.
0: Well, it seems to be on the same terms, yeah. you know, here's, you know, uh, unfortunately in his lifetime, he didn't see the bulk of the, this run up that's been taking uh, uh, place. And these portraits are kind of a, a specific period of his work, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that he kind of left for a long uh, uh, a period of t- time. Uh, but that, that sale seemed to be, be as exciting show. as the Amy Sherald yeah. uh, uh, yeah. sale. They
1: were, it was
0: And driven by the kinds of uh, bidders that you don't necessarily think of or or see in those kinds of uh, markets. Well, while we're on the same subject, the the Phillips day sale also had a number of black artists uh, not. Some of them were, you know, there was a Titus Kafar that sold for, I don't know, $380,000, $350,000. I think that was from the royals, but there were several other painters who got bid way up above their estimate range, sometimes into the low six or six figures and all. I presume that's sort of part of this broader trend, people just looking for Good work that they find interesting, that they think will continue to gain in value,
1: right. and the in- institutional backbone that to, to support it, and the knowledge of that I think is driving it too.
0: That the that the demand is just always going to be there yeah, because you, yeah. there's so much of a a, um, a backfill, so
1: much yeah, ground to make up.
0: I think. Yeah. Well, even, even with that, one would have expected some sort of a pull. I mean, this has not just been going on the last six months or even yeah. year, it's, it's, we're on year three. I mean, yeah. the zombie formalist <laughs> lasted 18 months or so, so. We're on year three, and it only seems to be getting bigger, not smaller. Yeah.
1: Well, we did just have George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, so yep. it's very, very much in the, I think, yep. uh, forefront right
2: now. The consciousness, so, yeah. yes. Yeah. But, as you said, Kim, I think it is about you know the institutional support and placement. Mm-hmm. The foundation is stronger. And so, you know on a firmer and broader foundation, you know, different um, buildings can grow.
1: And they're young artists for the most part, and people can feel good about that kind of patronage. I think that's a part of it, too.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so supporting them on the primary market, and filling in or catching up, making right. up ground, as okay. you said, said, on the secondary Well,
1: the reason market. why there's high secondary is because primary is hard to find. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, and there is this, you know, I'm not racist. Look, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but a little bit. Uh, come on, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> well, or, and then there's pure speculation. Or, or they're uh, just uh, the trophy of being in on the Yeah, I'm with it. I'm um, with it. I think there there are lots of factors, but yeah. hopefully it lasts. That's you know, and then it's there's some authenticity there, like with the royals. I believe that was authentic and real.
0: Well, no, they're hardly the only ones. I mean, they, they are significant, but there were other, other uh, collectors, and other collectors who sort of have uh, uh, been in this uh, uh, area of specific artists, but not exclusively, you know, and, and as I believe the royals were not, you know, in any way exclusively no. in this. So there are, there are plenty of people who consider this a significant vein of contemporary art that it's worth uh, uh, collecting deep. Thanks for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review. To get the latest art coverage, visit artnews.com or subscribe to our magazines, Art News and Art in America.